Welcome to the Intravitreal Injection Podcast, a patient-focused series where Dr. John Pitcher explores different perspectives on the most commonly performed medical procedure in the world. All right, so uh, welcome. Thank you for joining me on the Intravitreal Injection Podcast. My guest today is Roger Goldberg. Roger Goldberg is a retina specialist and works at Bay Area Retina. Is that correct? Yes, uh, out in San Francisco. Thank you for joining me, Roger. My pleasure. Great to be here and uh, great to be part of uh, a new podcast. So let me start off with um, the couple icebreaker questions that I, I, I have planned for any time I have a retina specialist on the podcast. I'd like to ask two things. Number one, approximately when was your first intravitreal injection uh, that you gave and approximately how many have you given since then? Um, well, I trained at uh, the Bascom Palmer Eye Institute for my residency and uh, Bascom Palmer is down in Miami. It's a very resident centric program and there's a lot of autonomy. And so I am certain that my first intravitreal injection would be in early July of 2009, which was the first month of residency. And I'm sure a third year resident when I was a first year kind of what, you know, maybe I watched one or two and then I had a whole bunch supervised and then I started doing them on my own. And how many have I given? I mean, tens and tens of thousands of intravitreal injections since that point. Um, it would be, I'd have to sit down and do some math to know the kind of a, a yeah. more accurate number, but I feel very comfortable with the procedure. <laughs> uh, sometimes when a patient asks me, I'm, um, I like to think that I'm still kind of youthful looking and a patient will say, geez, you don't look old enough to be a retina specialist. And, you know, how many of these injections have you done? And I'll typically say, you know, tens and tens and tens of thousands and, and, and certainly enough to feel very comfortable with. See, usually when someone asks me that, I say, this is my first one, but I'm sure it's going to go fine. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, um, so the, the point of, of uh, today's interview specifically is really to talk about intravitreal injections in the time of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so I, I'd like to find out in, in uh, what you're doing currently in your clinic, how has COVID-19 affected routine exams versus injections? So, um, great question, obviously super relevant, super relevant to, um, to this, to this era and who knows how long this era will last for, but, um, in our overall volume has dropped about 50% or so, but our injection volume, I'd say has only dropped about 25%. So um, as a proportion of patients I'm seeing, I actually feel like I'm doing more injections relative to the total, uh, although kind of on an absolute number, I'm doing fewer injections and seeing fewer patients. Yeah, I, 
I think that that's important to point out. And I, I do find myself saying that to my patients uh, when they see the waiting rooms a little bit more empty um, and, and talking about how we are prioritizing the injection. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of information out there that both patients and uh, providers can access uh, about COVID-19, but specifically for injections, why, why is it important? Maybe you can explain both from, as you would to a patient and maybe just medical community and retina specialists, why it's so important that we keep our patients on, uh, on their injection schedules as best as, as we can. Yeah. So, um, I think, first of all, I tend to kind of subdivide it actually a little bit by disease, uh, because not all intravitreal injections are the same. So I think in wet or neovascular macular degeneration, that's the most important group because that's the group where we're really the least tolerant of persistent fluid or new fluid uh, or hemorrhage in the retina because we know that that kind of what your vision is at the time you initiate treatment um, is a great predictor of what your vision is two years later uh, after you've you know done uh, you know, a course of intravitreal injection therapy and wet macular degeneration. Similarly, we also know, and Usha Chakavari, um, who's a great retinal specialist and researcher, has shown nicely that the more fluctuations there are in the retinal thickness, the more the, fl the fluid kind of comes and goes and comes and goes and the, and the retina kind of yo-yos, the worse the visual acuity outcomes are. So in, in age-related macular degeneration, I think it's critically important to um, to uh, to keep those patients on a consistent schedule uh, based on whatever that particular patient's needs are, whether that's a monthly injection or every six weeks or every eight weeks. So I think in AMD, it's very important. In retinal vein occlusion, which is another kind of common indication, um, I do think it's important. I think those patients, to be honest, they tend to recur very consistently. Like a patient will know, yeah, it's seven weeks and three days. I felt like it got worse. So I have found that those patients uh, tend to just come in again, you know, a week. If they've missed their appointment because they were afraid about coming into the office, they tend to come in a week or two later on their own because they've noticed that the fluid has gotten worse or, or their vision has gotten worse. And then when we look on the OCT, we can see that their fluid has gotten worse. The diabetic ones, I think, are in some ways the most challenging. Um, because in diabetes, I think we can kind of tolerate fluid, um, although it's not probably optimal for long-term vision over a short period of time, it might be okay. Uh, so I've had a little bit more flexibility for my diabetic patients, uh, again, kind of depending on their personal situation. How's the vision in the other eye? Do both eyes need treatment? Things like that. But the diabetics have been a little bit more, um, kind of lenient, I would say, about offering them the opportunity. But the truth is, is as this pandemic drags on, yeah, you might be able to get away with an extra two weeks or an extra four weeks. But, you know, I think many of us feel like, I mean, certainly it's going to go on for two months, but I wouldn't be surprised if it goes on even longer or recurs uh, next fall and next winter. Those patients are still going to need their treatment. Uh, so kind of a short-term delay isn't really solving the problem, even for those diabetic patients. Um, so 
A, I've been emphasizing just the importance of the injections, as I said, particularly in macular degeneration. We've been doing some things differently. There were particularly like kind of in late March when here in the Bay Area, we were really mindful about trying to bend the curve. I was doing a lot of injection only visits. In fact, even just bringing the patients in, no visual acuity, no IOP, no scan of their retina, just come straight in, get your injection unless they noticed, unless they had a new complaint. Um, I've been actually a little bit leery about doing that uh, kind of on multiple occasions. And I actually just saw a patient this morning who I'd seen five weeks ago, treated as one eye. And then he wanted to do the same thing where we just um, brought him straight to exam room, did the injection and, and he left. And I said, you know something, we didn't do it five weeks ago. It's been 10 weeks since we checked your vision or done a scan. And I checked his, checked his vision. His, his other eye had dropped two lines on the eye chart. And his, his fellow eye had new wet AMD. Hmm. And I thought, geez, I, I told him it's better to be lucky sometimes than good. Because, um, you know, probably if, if, if he had complained a little bit more, I might have you know, acquiesced and said, okay, fine, let's just get you in and out. He's an older patient in his 90s, you know, who's the highest risk population. But I said, geez, I'm so glad um, we checked it. And I actually kind of pointed this case out to my staff as well, um, because the staff is also sensitive about how much time they're interacting with people, and especially patients who come from, whether it's nursing homes or assisted living, so I pointed this out and I said, this was a great example of why we need to, we kind of can't forget about regular retinal care because if I'd, had I not identified this fellow eye, he very well could have come back in another five weeks and, and dropped another two lines of vision. And then he would have been four lines down before we had caught his wet AMD. So, um, so yeah. I've actually kind of started to scale back up some of the kind of ancillary care that accompanies an intravitreal injection, like visual acuity check, like OCT scans. That's, that's an excellent point. I think it really illustrates how we're balancing the risks of vision loss versus the risks of uh, exposure both to our patients and our staff. And, and that's constantly in flux as community situations change. And, uh, you know, we've been doing the same thing in my practice with really prioritizing the injections over the exams and the OCT scans to monitor the macula. Um, we've still been doing a vision and pressure throughout, um, hoping to catch any potential vision loss and, and certainly doing a scan if we do see any changes. Um, but you know, we've been restarting a lot of our patients who've been on a monthly series of injections who um, would have gotten a scan uh, at a certain visit and, and asking them about their symptoms and then injecting and, um, you know, following up with additional in injections on, on a planned series. Certainly for patients who've been stable for a while, that's a, a pretty reasonable approach. Um, so that, that was really my, my next question was, are there... You know, how have you adjusted your processes to reduce the risk of exposure for patients and staff? And, um, and you answered that. Are there any other things you're doing? Um, yeah. Well, you know? I, th I think the way you asked it about talking about kind of 
risk mitigation, all these, you know, you can never eliminate your risk to zero. And so all these things are about how do you kind of balance the trade-off of various risks. So we talk a lot about the risk of missing an injection for your macular degeneration patients. And again, look, many being fine, but the problem is, is, you know, some percentage of those patients, whether it's 20% of them are gonna lose vision, or if they do that chronically, they'll certainly lose vision over time. And so kind of how do you weigh the kind of relative risks? And I think a key part of it is also, well, what do we do to reduce the risk related to coronavirus? And um, so we are now, everybody's wearing a mask in my office. Um, uh, myself, the staff, and the patients have to wear a mask as well. And it's interesting, I don't know, um, uh, John, if you guys, there was some debate about ma wearing masks around intravitreal injections before coronavirus, because it turns out when there's an infection inside the eye related to an intravitreal injection, it's generally sourced from the mouth. And so some people have no talking policies or they'll ask their patients or themselves to wear a mask to reduce the transmission of these oral flora. Now, of course, we're recommending masks uh, for everyone just to reduce the risk of uh, transmission of coronavirus. I should mention that the, the betadine or the chlorhexidine, whatever you're using for antisepsis related to your intravitreal injections, that is also very potent at killing coronavirus. So to the extent that people are worried about conjunctivitis uh, and coronavirus, which the conjunctiva can be a source, I feel very confident with my intravitreal injection patients that the betadine or chlorhexidine is, is, is killing any coronavirus that's present. And um, the other thing actually that's interesting, a lot of the patients we see come in with these masks that have a little button on them, like a square or a round button. Have you seen those? Uh, yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, those are the common ones you find at like Home Depot or Ace Hardware stores. And that's a one-way valve. And it actually makes the, those are actually N95 certified. It protects the patient very well, but those do not protect the staff or the doctor because that valve is a one-way valve. So it actually kind of, it actually concentrates their, their aerosolized, you know, saliva at every exhale into like kind of like a funnel that exits through that one-way valve. So we actually, for any patients who come in wearing that one-way valve mask, we actually ask them to change it or to put another mask on top of it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really to protect the staff. And then of course we're doing um, all of the social distancing in our waiting area. I think to be honest, patients who've been in our office feel very comfortable. It's much, much less crowded than the grocery store. Every single surface gets a deep clean, um, you know, with medical grade Sani, these medical grade Sani wipes that you can't even, you know, you don't even want it to touch your skin. Um, so I feel very confident that my office is cleaner than the grocery store um, and a very safe environment. And I think patients and the staff putting those protocols in place is reassuring both for the patients and for the staff to know that we are creating a safe environment for our patients. That's great. No, I, I think that's, that's right on point. And I do think that one silver lining from this pandemic is we have been able to demonstrate 
in many situations that we can continue to give intravitreal injections in these trying circumstances. And our patients, I think, appreciate that and do feel very reassured when they come to the office. And we've made a point of letting them know ahead of time that, you know, that those are the steps we're taking. So I think the retina community has really come together in, in support of our patients and protecting their vision uh, throughout this, this crisis. So I, I really appreciate you joining me and, and giving me your input. And, um, you know, I hope to have you on again in future episodes. I'd love to. I'd love to. Good luck with this and good luck. Stay safe, obviously. Um, and uh, and uh, we'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Take care, Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Intravitreal Injection Podcast. Please leave us a review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at the IVI Podcast. We hope you'll join us next time. Until then, remember, when it comes to intravitreal injections, there's more than meets the eye.